This is Art Blog Radio. Hi, this is Libby. And this is Roberta. Today we're speaking with Bob Casalino, who's the Curator of Modern Art at the Pennsylvania Academy of the Fine Arts. We're sitting in Bob's office with Sid Sachs, who is the Exhibitions Director of Rosenwald Wolf Gallery at University of the Arts. And we're talking with these gentlemen about public art because we know they have opinions and we'd like to hear what is on their minds about the burning issues in public art these days. So what's your favorite public art in Philadelphia? Um, we'll start with Sid. Uh, the Armagnani Reading Room. Oh, that's, oh, that's a, a great, great one. one. Tell us where it is. Since it's not on the other side it. of the sanctuary at Fleischer. Fleischer Art Memorial? Yeah, and it's... Uh, what makes it so great? Because the artwork is great and because it's dedicated to Louis Kahn and it's... Uh, and it's quiet, as is the sanctuary. So that gets to the idea of public art that takes a space, and it does something within that space. And is that something you could consider a characteristic of all successful public art, that it inhabits a space and it does it well? Well, I think one of the things that I feel is a good you know, quality of, of successful public art is that it um, it becomes a meeting place. It instantly attracts people and becomes a place that people know to gather to or you can use as a landmark. So Loves Park, for instance, is a great example of that. That's become synonymous with Philly, and it you know it almost has become a kind of logo for the city, whether you want that to be the case or not. But what it does is it adds to the city's identity. But in a is it the way. park or the Indiana? I think it's both. I think it's it's the object being there, but then it winds up somehow absorbing the space around it. I, I, I'm not even sure if public art is what we should be talk, which what we should be talking about, because it's not the art itself, but it's the civic pride that that manifests itself in the art that's selected. It's how we see the world and how the world sees us. Uh, like in Chicago. They have major, major, major artworks. And I don't think Philadelphia has a kind of a one artwork that kind of, I'm not sure there's anything that really is a knockout piece. Like the like Grand Rapids has that Calder. And it's like, that's their Calder. Like, what do we have that, you know, that is... The clothespin, The clothespin, I was going to say. The clothespin. Oh, Sid, what do you think about the clothespin? Uh, <laughs> I think Oldenburg is an amazing sculptor. His early plaster pieces, his soft pieces, his pieces with rags, his happenings are important, but the public works are not. I think it's fine, but it's like it has no touch, and Oldenburg's all about touch. But that's not, that's not the point of, of his public sculpture, though. The point isn't the touch or that it's been made by somebody. It's the idea and the, stu- the sight. There are different concerns. And it's about how the public responds to it, um, and maybe even not how the public responds to it at the moment it's put up there, but how the public responds to it long term, whether they, whether they embrace it as some kind of um, visual symbol. Is the public a different audience than what an artist would be normally making art for, so that they have to use different parameters when they're making the art? Well, they so can't they put plaster outside. For sure not. So the materials have to shift. I feel like a lot of public art is deemed acceptable because there's this much money and we have to spend it or or it gets lost. And therefore, let's spend it because art is good. 
There's bad art in the world. And one should not produce bad art because you have a budget. So how do you guarantee good art in public art? I don't know that. But I do know that there's a lot of bad art in the city of Philadelphia. That's Name public. them, Sid. Uh, all of the, tr- the bus stops, all of them. They should not have passed the Arts Commission at all. Um, do you think that that was a factor of money, maybe? The amount of well, money? Well, if you I mean, don't have enough money, money, then don't do it. What if you had an amazing architect like Rem Coolhouse doing those bus stops? What if you had Robert Venturi doing the bus stops? Hey. I know that's a bad thing. Everybody thinks no one likes Robert Venturi. I love Robert Venturi. I'm glad he's in Philadelphia. Okay, so how much of this is a question of taste as everything is in the world? <laughs> I, and no one in this room seems to like the bus stops, so that's not just taste. That's consensus. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say, though, that I, even though they're not my favorite work of public art, that they do look better to me than the pro forma um, mass-manufactured ones that the city Okay, uses. so you get a better designer. It's, an indus- it's a question of industrial design, mm-hmm. and industrial design at the highest level can be good art. Well, what would you do if you had unlimited funds? Let's talk to Bob for a minute. Great. Bob! Unlimited funds. For um. beautifying the city or creating space that's empowering and... I mean, what would you do? Well, I do think Sid's point about uh, involving local artists is important. And Philly definitely has no shortage of capable artists who could take on commissions. I know they're doing a Tom Otterness aviator, like plaza or something around the, um, you know, outside the Free Library and Franklin Institute. (laughs) Are you okay there, Sid? You're going to have to clean that up. And, you know, hey, look, I've, I've no great love for Tom Otterness, although the, the I love him. I, I love work, him. He's kitsch, and I love kitsch. The work that I've seen in, in public spaces by him, there's a subway in stop in New York. Oh, there's a bunch of them. Which I think is brilliant. Yeah, they're great. They're, great. they're wonderful. Um, in, Charming. In going back to Sid's um, skepticism about whether so-called great sculptors can make great public art, make maybe Tom Otterness's, like, best, the best use of his unique talents is in public art. He's a public sculptor. Mm-hmm. It's bronze. It can't be hurt. It's funny, so people like it. So who, who, would, you, who would you commission to, to do uh, public artwork? In well, I, I, I'm not there? sure about, you know, like the, the, the Comcast building has that, uh, that video wallpaper. So here we have one of the biggest corporations in the United States that's involved with technology. So you commissioned the best video artist in the United States to change that wall. That would put Philadelphia on the map, and it would put Comcast building on the map. I think that public art has to have higher goals in general, and that it has to realize that it is, that it shouldn't pander to the public or be popular, that it should be progressive. So do you feel like there's nothing in Philadelphia that meets that criteria? No, I didn't say that. You know, there's, oh, there was, a, there was a collector named Lolly Lloyd who was in Philadelphia, and she collected amazing things. So in the 1930s, she collected Calder's. In the 1940s, she collected Gorky. In the 1950, I'm not sure what she collected. In the 1960s, she collected um, Bob Morris. She gave a Bob Morris piece to, to Philadelphia. Nobody knows about it. It's sort of there behind the museum near the road, Boathouse Row. But we need 
a a way of making public art that is of its decade. The first time the work has been done, it's kind of like the Ellsworth Kelly that left here, unfortunately, that was from 1957. Ellsworth Kelly was young. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it went to New York, the Museum of Modern Art, talks about its uh, quality. And the fact that they changed its title from Sculpture for Philadelphia to Sculpture for a Large Wall is offensive to me. And the fact that the city of Philadelphia let it leave is offensive to me. Those are the kinds of works that should be produced in Philadelphia. I know when I was a college student, there was a large-scale painting by Gene Davis at Aiken's Oval. Rockney Krebs did a laser piece from the museum to the city hall. It's kind of an experiment. And I don't see people doing things of that, of that nature anymore. It just seems to be kind of a coalescing into something permanent. Well, let's talk about temporary. You know, New York has fabulous temporary public art programs. Mm -hmm. The waterfalls, for instance. Yes. yes. Yeah. I mean, that was a spectacle. Yeah. When things are permanent, if they're not of high quality, then you're stuck with them. It's kind of like the Angman sculpture across from City Hall. It's a bad nom gabot, but he was head of the sculpture. He was head of the art, fine arts at Penn, so he somebody in the city approved it, and now it's there. And when the building burned down, I thought it maybe would be melted down, <laughs> but it's still there. And so you have this kind of in the school of sculpture across from City Hall near the clothespin, which is not school of. The clothespin is its own thing. And then across the street from that, temporarily, we have the Philly Fanatic. That makes a mockery of all public sculpture in and of itself. So there's no one... it's temporary. That's the good news. It's temporary, but how long has it been there? You know, I've, I've only lived and worked here for um, seven years now in the area, and uh, I've come to actually love that there's a mural arts program and love the murals no matter how, you know I would whether or not I would actually hang them if they were smaller scale on right. a canvas in the museum right because there there's so many different reasons why the mural arts program has enriched the city and continues to be I think an important program I know a lot of artists who hate the murals and want to have the person responsible for them uh, the, their head on a platter I'm not going to name who those people are. Um, Me. But, uh, <laughs> but artists loathe them, and I don't understand it because there's no reason to you know, suspect that any of these, these murals aspire to be Diego Rivera, you know, uh, Orozco, uh, Securos murals. Well, why not? Okay, so but just setting okay. that aside, they're not pretending to be. You know, maybe... In, a, in an ideal world, Sid, that's what would be on all of these, these walls. Some of them are pretty spectacular. Some of them are outright inept and, and kitschy. But better that than a brick wall with graffiti on it that uh, denigrates the city. Um, now, that's not to say graffiti can't be part of the mural arts program and, and deliberately. I think the Steve Powers project is a really good example, rhyming a certain aesthetic with the sites and doing it in a thoughtful way so that it's distributed throughout, you know, along train lines and things like that, and so it kind of connects. But I think 
the whole social aim of the murals and the whole idea behind the program and getting people to work collaboratively on them, that's important, and that may be the most important aspect of them. But I go, I live in the suburbs, and I drive, when I come into town, when I don't take the train, and I come down Lancaster Avenue, there's every, almost every couple of feet, there's another mural. And the interesting thing is they've just put up a sculpture of Martin Luther King. Um, have you seen it? Mm-mm. It's real, It's very small. It's wrong scale. And he gave a speech in Philadelphia on Lancaster Avenue near Belmont. There's a mural of Martin Luther King behind mm-hmm. it. And so that was there first, and now there's a sculpture. Sculpture's way the wrong scale. But that reinforces the mural and reinforces the importance of the place, and that's site-specific and really important. I think it's great. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that two blocks away and two blocks before, there's many, many, many murals, so it takes away, it detracts from the meaning of the importance of that place. You know, it's like, I understand that it was, actually it was started to stop the graffiti, the mural projects, but what if they took that paint, what if they took that paint and painted homes? And actually had people like the WPA fixing the homes and painting the homes and making the whole communities nicer. And that amount of paint could be applied in a very direct way to the, to the blight of the, of, the, of the city. That's all well and good. That's, a, that's, I think, in a sense, that's two different things. And, you know, no amount of murals and no amount of repainting houses is actually going to help what those people need. In them. But ultimately, I think um, what's lost in just painting houses is that you're not reinforcing a history of a place through the murals, which are almost all, if not entirely, representational. Um, and so somehow teaching through the murals. So some kid may wander into um, you know, the edge of a vacant lot but happens to have a mural on it and you know, discover that certain people who preceded him lived in this community at one point and, and maybe you know, think differently about things. That would be great if it were actually happening. It happens in some places, but I, I was, Ken Finkel was saying, like, the Coltrane house is in bad repair. And John Coltrane was one of the greatest artists in the 20th century. How can you say that the murals are fixing and, and telling people these events happened when something like that, or Paul Robeson's home is in disrepair? These people are major cultural figures, and the city should be so proud that they existed and that doesn't happen. The murals seem generic to me. Well, I think we could end now. We've been talking with Bob Casolino and Sid Sachs about public art in Philadelphia. Thank you, Bob. You're welcome. Thank you, Sid. You're welcome. Art Blog Radio was produced in Philadelphia by theartblog.org. Thanks to the Knight Foundation for supporting this project. And thanks to our editor, Peter Crimmins, for making us sound good. And to Eric Biondo for his music. You can download our podcast from the radio page of the Art Blog.